Hello and a very warm welcome to this special edition of Africa Brief from IFEX, the global network of 100 organizations that promote and defend the right to freedom of expression and information. My name is Nazarene Jaro, IFEX's African Network Engagement Coordinator, and I'm joined by my co-host, Rihanna Masters, our Africa Regional Editor. And Rihanna, today we're delighted to welcome a very special guest, Dawa Mavinga, Southern Africa Director at Human Rights Watch, who joins us to discuss the very worrying situation in Eswatini. It's great to have you both with us. Rihanna, we've just published your latest brief on our website at ifex.org slash Africa Brief, and the developments from Eswatini were a major focus for you this month. Yes, indeed, Nazreen. Um, and let me just reiterate, it's great to have you here with us today, Dewa. Um, I know at the moment, attention is all on South Africa and, you know, the violence that's taking place there. But uh, we both know that, you know, Eswatini is very underreported and you've been reporting extensively on what's been happening there in recent weeks. Um, so we really appreciate you joining us to share your knowledge and, you know, your expertise. Thank you so much. I'm happy to be on the platform to share. Thank you. Pleasure. Um, so to set the scene for our listeners, um, Eswatini, which is Africa's last and uh, absolute monarchy, is brutally cracking down on the largest anti-government protests in the country since it became independent from Britain over 50 years ago. There's a dust till dawn curfew which has been imposed, while internet access has been limited. At one point, it was shut off completely. Dozens of people have been killed and many have been detained and abducted. So, you know, Dewa, maybe you could give us an idea, you know, because it's been so difficult to get accurate and verified information, but I know that you have the people there on the ground. Could you give our listeners a sense of what the current situation is in Eswatini? Yes, thanks. So the crackdown on uh, protesters uh, by the security forces uh, has continued. And one of the key features of this uh, operation by the Eswatini security forces has been an indiscriminate, you know, uh, beating up of people. Uh, people who were not protesting, uh, randomly picked up uh, on the streets or in their homes. And at the height of the protests, uh, there was also a major issue of uh, the security forces indiscriminately shooting at people uh, and killing dozens. So that uh, process uh, continues. And we also know, uh, I've been talking to uh, lawyers on the ground in Eswatini, uh, to activists and to people uh, uh, with members of their families who have been jailed, who are in prison, uh, denied bail, uh, charged with... Uh, uh, charges like housebreaking, uh, even though they were just picked up on the streets uh, and are now awaiting uh, trial. They are living in overcrowded, squalid conditions in places of detention, uh, and yet there is no space for them to be allowed bail. Uh, there is, uh, from the lawyers, an indication that there is a directive to all magistrates to deny bail blankets to anyone who is charged with housebreaking or with vandalism in terms of the uh, recent protests. Uh, we also know that um, uh, there was a huge crisis in terms of access to food uh, because of the uh, uh, looting that had happened and because of the crackdown 
and that there was also a closure of the borders. Uh, so there was no movement of food between South Africa and Eswatini. Uh, and so that remains a huge challenge for many people, uh, particularly in this uh, context of um, the COVID-19 pandemic, where people were already struggling uh, to survive. Uh, and now with this um, imposed curfew and the crackdown by the security forces, uh, the ordinary person on the street is really struggling. So basically also, um, uh, Dewa, this means that even the people who are, you know, who have been arbitrarily arrested and are being denied bail also have to deal with the COVID situation, especially if you're talking about the conditions in which they're being imprisoned. And what chance is there of their cases coming to court, uh, you know, near future? Well, that is a major challenge. And the, the, the lawyers are telling me that uh, there is this directive uh, from the powers above that um, there should be a blanket denial of bail. So they are denied bail. They are kept uh, in overcrowded, squalid conditions. Uh, and there is a high risk of uh, the rapid spread of uh, COVID-19 in those conditions. And there are no prospects that there could be uh, a fair process uh, of uh, ensuring that they are brought before the courts because th- their cases have been politicized. And in fact, one of the issues that uh, the protesters have been raising has been um, a lack of independence, uh, even of the judiciary, because of the king's control, the, because of the king's absolute powers. And this is now one of that uh, expressions of those powers. Uh, we know that uh, the uh, king, for the first time, is now said to have called for a traditional meeting at the Crown, uh, which is called by a meeting, uh, presumably to discuss the concerns that have been raised. But uh, many of the activists that I spoke to are saying that they are continuing to mobilize and to organize for uh, even bigger protests because they believe that their issues have not been heard and that the uh, authorities and the king Uh, has remained aloof and arrogant and is not engaging with them meaningfully in terms of their demands for for democracy, for freedom, uh, for freedom of expression, and uh, for uh, multi-party democracy and for an elected prime minister to be installed. Well, this is information that, you know, we, the media, have not been able to carry. And like I said, you know, there's a great deal of under-reporting. So you obviously getting the information. How are people getting information out, especially, you know, in a trusted way and particularly given the Internet shutdowns? Well, it, it has been a struggle, but um, uh, a number of the activists, uh, once there was the initial Internet shutdown, uh, we began to discuss ways of getting information out, including use of uh, VPN to try and circumvent uh, the processes. So uh, using those methods, it has been possible to uh, get access to uh, to activists, uh, to lawyers, to journalists uh, who have got credible information. Uh, I've also been speaking to people uh, within the police. Uh, we're talking about picking up bodies uh, on the streets after the shootings by the security forces. And this is one of the biggest uh, things, which is that there hasn't been any accounting in terms of the numbers officially of those that were killed and accountability in terms of identifying the killers and ensuring that they are brought to justice. So that's one of the big concerns that is there. Uh, Some of the families uh, are complaining of harassment uh, when they try to go through the processes uh, 
bury their loved ones, uh, to raise issues because uh, the security forces do not want these things uh, to be exposed, to be put uh, in the limelight. So those are some of the things that are happening at the moment. Uh, but still, sometimes it would take several hours uh, for me to get messages, but still very dedicated uh, activists and people on the ground are, are still putting out information to say, this is what is happening. These are the struggles. Uh, these are the verified uh, uh, videos or photos or photographs of what they have seen themselves on the ground. Uh, so in, in that way, uh, we really appreciate uh, that um, uh, commitment to uh, share accurate information and to expose the levels of um, brutality, uh, excessive use of force, uh, and uh, crackdown that is happening in Eswatini. Thank you, Dawa, for those uh, insights. Uh, you know, you do mention a bit of what the deeper issues that are driving these protests. But we're just wondering, could you give us uh, a bit of contextual um, background on, you know, how the political and civil rights of citizens have been undermined throughout the years? Um, you had mentioned a few ways that the, uh, the king has been able uh, and his government have been able to maintain a stronghold. So, you know, how long do you think that the authorities can sustain their brutal pushback on citizens? It appears to, uh, to me, uh, talking to the activists on the ground, that this uh, could really be uh, the moment that would push the authorities uh, to get to reforms because these have, uh, over the last few months, been sustained protests and there is a, a commitment uh, by activists on the ground that they need now to have change and that they have had enough, enough is enough, now is the time uh, for reforms. And we know that um, opposition political parties have been banned in Eswatini uh, since 1973. Uh, there are no uh, freedoms and the, the, the king and his family uh, have been leading uh, lavish lifestyles at the expense of the taxpayers. Uh, the ordinary person on the street uh, is uh, struggling, particularly uh, during this time of the COVID-19 pandemic. Uh, and so uh, people are mobilizing. And this particular wave of protests, uh, which began in May when um, a law student was um, allegedly killed by the police and there was an attempt to cover up that process, uh, this wave is being led by hundreds of students and young people. Uh, and uh, PM uh, uh, determined and uh, a number of other movements, political movements, uh, unions are also joining in and supporting the cause. So there is momentum. And um, one hopes that uh, the king of uh, Eswatini and his government will do the right thing, acknowledge the seriousness of this uh, matter, and uh, listen to the legitimate uh, concerns uh, that are being put on the table uh, by the protesters. Indeed. And, you know, could you just um, expand a little bit about how the movement has expanded? We know that there's been a broader cross-section of uh, Swazi so uh, society that have been able to join into the, um, this uh, protest that have never been mobilized before. And do you think that is also playing a part as to uh, why these protests are different uh, than the recent uh, protests that have occurred in recent years? Absolutely. The, the, the connections and also in terms of um, across the border with movements uh, in South Africa has helped in a big way uh, in, in terms of uh, support and solidarity 
and also in terms of uh, amplifying the voices of the activists inside uh, Eswatini. So it has helped in a big way. Um, and also, in a way, the arrogance of the king, uh, Muswati III, and his mm. government uh, has inflamed the situation because the protesters were expecting that they would be granted you know, their basic rights to protest, to demonstrate, and uh, to present petitions to the authorities. But there was a point where there was a ban on uh, the presentation of petitions, and this was really uh, a display of arrogance and um, lack of concern for the, uh, for the issues that the people were bringing up to the king and his government. So that also fueled uh, the situation and uh, emboldened the activists and the level of brutality um, uh, and excessive use of force that was uh, displayed uh, by the security forces captured on, on camera, uh, shared and going viral on social media, that also galvanized the activists as they saw horrific images of people being shot uh, at point-blank range and being killed uh, and these people are walking on the streets. These are young people, uh, some of them who have nothing to do with the protests. Um, and uh, even diplomats stationed in Eswatini, like the U.S. Embassy, um, filed official complaints because their diplomatic vehicles were shot at using live ammunition by the security forces of Eswatini. So all these things are playing out and people are seeing what's happening. Uh, although there is an attempt or there was an attempt by the authorities uh, to shut down uh, media, to have a media blackout, to shut down the internet, still information was filtering out and people could see. And that actually uh, galvanized the people to say, this is the moment we hmm. will not let up until there is significant change. So they were taking into consideration that, yes, the, you know, the monarchy has consistently been arrogant and, you know, the decree banning uh, petitions. And, you know, in fact, the king has not been seen, as far as we know, since the demonstration started. Do you think that there's any genuineness in the uh, consultative process, the Sibaya, um, that is being called for? And, you know, also, if you could give us, you know, an idea of how that process works, what does it mean, and what are citizens think, you know, what are their feelings about it? Well, I, I have raised this issue over the last day or two uh, with um, uh, uh, lawyers and activists on the ground. And their sense uh, and feeling is that the king is not sincere uh, and that, in fact, the holding of the announcement that the king will now hold this uh, traditional uh, crowd meeting was actually to coincide with the day and the time that the activists were uh, announcing that this would be a bigger protest that would be happening at that time. So it also looks like it was deliberately to try and uh, take attention away from the protest and uh, in a way uh, present uh, a sense that this is the, the moment uh, to engage. And a number of the protesters are saying that at this point, uh, they are completely... Uh, unhappy uh, with the uh, authorities in Eswatini and would not want the Eswatini authorities to lead the process of an all-inclusive political dialogue uh, that leads to reforms, but that this will be done by an independent party 
perhaps an external party, maybe uh, church leaders or the Southern African Development Community leadership, uh, but certainly not uh, by the king and his government because for many decades has not listened to uh, the demands and the cries and the concerns that were raised uh, put before him. So, Dewa, if you were looking at your crystal ball, what do you see happening going forward? Well, I believe that um, this is the beginning of a process for change. It was an anomaly that you should have an absolute monarchy, the last in Africa uh, that has lived for so long, sheltered away from the glare of uh, the public and international scrutiny. So now that uh, Eswatini is uh, in the spotlight, this is the moment. It might take time, but certainly I do not believe that is sustainable at all to continue to uh, rule the people of Eswatini, the 1.5 million uh, people with an iron fist uh, as an absolute monarchy without embracing uh, multi-party democracy. I do not believe it's sustainable to continue to uh, suppress the people and to ban political parties as the, the monarchy has done since 1973. So I believe that, but for this to happen, there is need for greater support to the people of Eswatini, to the activists in terms of uh, solidarity, in terms of pressure on the authorities, in terms of mobilization, even uh, in South Africa and other neighboring countries, uh, to uh, ensure that this momentum is maintained and that there is no return uh, to the old days of um, dictatorship without accountability. Would you be referring just to, you know, support from the governments uh, in the region? Or are you also talking about, you know, um, civil society organizations, other NGOs? Well, certainly, yes, uh, civil society organizations, uh, NGOs, people-to-people solidarity uh, and support is very important. because. from history, we know that uh, usually it is with the solidarity and support from other civil society groups, uh, from social movements, that uh, groups are able to sustain and continue with the struggles that they have. And the people of Eswatini need this kind of uh, support and solidarity uh, in this moment, especially as many of the activists are being hunted down and hundreds have been thrown into uh, prison, uh, they are in detention. Uh, and um, uh, the few that are out there need the moral support, you know, the logistical support, and uh, also need to hear other voices speaking the same language that you know, enough is enough. We need uh, the authorities in Eswatini uh, to seriously engage uh, and embrace democracy and, and human rights and the rule of law, separation of powers, and significant limitations on the powers uh, of the king. And, you know, from everything that's happened and is happening, what do you feel are the implications for the wider region? For the wider region, it is a, a wave of change that is inevitable. That, so the, the movement is towards democracy. The movement is towards greater respect uh, for uh, fundamental freedoms and human rights. And uh, it cannot be stopped. Uh, so the best way, uh, and this is what, uh, as human rights, what we have been saying to uh, the authorities in Eswatini, the best way is uh, to take this moment and genuinely have uh, a, a, an action plan that leads to 
significant reforms, including constitutional reforms, including uh, a process towards a credible, free and fair election in which there the, are all these freedoms and opposition political parties are free to participate and citizens are free to um, express themselves in terms of whom they want to lead them in terms of government. So this process uh, should be embraced and should be supported by the entire region because failure to do that uh, raises a serious risk of uh, continued uh, crisis uh, in terms of um, protest, in terms of governance, and uh, it's, it's not sustainable. What needs to happen now is for the king. What needs to happen now is for uh, the big powers, the Western uh, democracies that are supporting uh, Esotini uh, to push for a common goal of uh, reforms, a common goal of respect of uh, the people's rights, a common goal of um, improving the lives of ordinary people uh, in this context of the COVID-19 pandemic. Great insights and clarity into the situation, Dawa. Um, you know, as an international uh, organization, we must begin to uh, listen to the concerns on the ground and reflect the wishes of the Swati to move the kingdom towards a genuine transition to democratic reform. A warm thanks to you, especially given how busy your schedule is. And if you've enjoyed our discussion, please share it widely. Uh, don't forget you can now find us on your favorite audio platforms, including Apple, Spotify, and Google Podcasts. And you can also now send us feedback to africabrief at ifex.org. Uh, be sure to also follow us on our Twitter feed at twitter.com slash ifex to stay in touch with the latest free expression developments from Africa and around the world. And please also follow our guest today, Dawa at Dawa Mavinga and Human Rights Watch at Human Rights Watch uh, HRW on Twitter. A huge thank you to our producers, Aram Partap and Paco Lepe. And thanks to you for listening. See you again next month. <laughs>